Hello and welcome back to The, the Mentors. Mentors. This is Vadim. And this is Sergey, his brother. His twin brother. My twin brother. We don't talk about each other in third person. That's we actually, weird. We had someone reach out to us in our Contact Us form at The Mentors a couple weeks ago that has a twin store, like a twin store and blog. I think it's called twinningstore.com or something like that. Uh, hopefully I'm getting the URL right. And they reached out to us because it's a pair of twins that run this twin store that also interviewed twins for this blog. And they wanted to interview us for their blog. And we said yes. And it was actually kind of fun. Yeah. But, you, so, but you guys, if you guys think we talk about twins a lot or being twins uh, on every episode, it, there's other twins that do it way more. So. Well, it's funny because I was looking through, I actually read a bunch of their blog posts on this uh, twinning website and, you know, it has all of these pictures of all these twins and the more I looked at it, the more I was like, damn, like, that's so weird that there's so many twins and it kind of made me realize how strange it must be when Vadim and I walk together, especially if we're wearing something similar <laughs> and people give us looks. Yesterday we, I mean, it was Sunday, we, uh, this is Monday we're recording now, but we just didn't care how we looked. Actually, that's the beauty of living in New York. Nobody really cares. You can look amazing and be dressed to the nines or just look like complete crap leaving Half your apartment. Half the people <laughs> wear pajamas in the streets. It's like a giant college dorm. And I wore my plaid pajamas and a plaid shirt, like a completely different color plaid shirt. And Sergey showed up with his Doc Pumpkin and we were going for a walk or something to get coffee. And he was also wearing a plaid pants, completely unplanned, and a plaid shirt, all different colors. We looked ridiculous and we recognized that immediately, but literally within like two blocks, this woman on a bike slowed down and she's like, that's a lot of plaid. And we're like, that, that's a my, my initial reaction, observation. Yeah, <laughs> my initial reaction was that, how rude is that to say? Like, she just called us out. But then I turned to Vidya and I said, yeah, that is kind of a lot of plaid. <laughs> Between the two of us, it's way too much. Like, we deserve, a, we deserve a tongue lash. Good old tongue lashing yes. for such a fashion faux pas. Anyways, uh, moving on and into the topic of conversation at hand for today, something that we've actually been thinking about a lot, just because of some conversations that we've had with friends recently, and that is that oftentimes, whether it's at work or maybe even in a regular scenario that you might find yourself in life, you need to turn somebody from an enemy or, or you need to turn somebody from an adversary into an ally. In other words, get them to be on your side. It's actually a lot like sales oftentimes, right? Because usually the customer that you're selling to, you know, they have their guard up, they have other people selling them all the time, pitching them all the time, and now you have to convince them to see the same value that you see, right? Same idea here. How do you turn an enemy, somebody that's intrinsically against you and what you believe in, into an ally? Well, we spend so much of our time working with a lot of different people, right? You need to actually be able to collaborate with others to make anything happen. And you're not going to gel with everybody all the time. There are going to be some people that maybe rub you the wrong way or you rub them the wrong way as well. And even in normal day-to-day situations, whether you run your own business or not, you're going to interact with people that immediately when they interact with you for the first time, they are for some reason arguing or being argumentative or debating with you. And in making your life difficult. And nobody wants to have a difficult life all the time. So we wanted to give you some tools to change that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it also could be somebody that you had a wonderful relationship with and then something changed, right? Maybe a power dynamic change or, or there was some kind of situation either in the workplace or personally that changed the dynamic of their relationship. And all of a sudden, they went from being somebody that was supportive, your champion or what have you, to being an adversary. How do you win them back? 
How do you get them back to your side? Ultimately, to be more productive and get towards whatever the next step is that you're looking to get to with that person or uh, with something that you might be working towards together. Now, one sort of common classic example of this and someone that uh, was great at arguing, if you will, or great at getting people to understand their side was Socrates. And so the Socratic method was born. And I guess the simplest way to explain that is to essentially ask a bunch of questions and have a discussion with somebody so that they can get to a point where they ultimately get towards the same exact answer that you already had on your mind the whole time, right? Ultimately, get them to explain themselves by asking them a bunch of questions. That's actually going to lead us towards one method that we'll explain a little bit for how to get somebody to become your ally uh, in a little bit. But we wanted to start off with a different story that Sergey had with none other than Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, yes, one of the founding fathers of this great nation, the United States. You might have read his autobiography, and you may have, even if you haven't read the book, probably have heard of the Ben Franklin effect. But let me tell you a little bit of the story behind how that Ben Franklin effect came to be so you understand a little bit of why it worked. So when Benjamin Franklin was in his early 30s living in Philadelphia, he applied and got chosen for a job to be a clerk at the Pennsylvania General Assembly. Got the job pretty easily because he was seen as the organizer in the city. And there was this entrenched legislator there, which was this wealthy, very educated guy who just hated Ben Franklin and for some reason was always out to get him. Maybe because he was a rabble arouser who never, you know, who always challenged the status quo. Uh, And also Ben Franklin only had a high school education at that point. But this guy was, again, very educated and wealthy and he always had it out to get him and he was a little bit older. And Ben Franklin had the foresight to understand that this guy throughout his career, if he's going to stay as part of the General Assembly, he's going to probably be a thorn in his side. He's going to rise in the ranks and continue to be uh, somebody that, that negatively influences him as this legislator. So he decided, I need to get this guy on my side one way or another. And let me actually read a quick little excerpt from Ben Franklin's autobiography of how he describes the tactic that he employed. This is Ben Franklin. Having heard that he had in his library a certain very scarce and curious book, I wrote a note to him, expressing my desire of pursuing this particular book, and requesting he would do me the favor of lending it to me for a few days. The legislator agreed, impressed by this specific request, and after a week, Franklin actually returned the book, and he wrote a note, which is an important detail, expressing his deepest thanks and regards and, you know, how great this guy was for letting him borrow this scarce book. And ever since that time, anytime Ben Franklin would ask this gentleman for a favor, he would always do it. And they actually became good friends up until that guy ended up passing. Now, why is it that this guy who was, you know, basically a huge enemy of Ben Franklin, why did he become his friend right after that? Well, I'll tell you. First of all, the the favor that he asked for, it was a relatively small favor. Yes, it was a rare book, but to let somebody borrow a book back in that time, that was very common. Not a lot of people had great books, right? Um, And so getting the book wasn't the hard part. But once he agreed to give him this book, his brain couldn't then also at the same time make Ben continue having Ben Franklin be his enemy. That would create cognitive dissonance that the person's brain would not be able to handle. So he basically justified for himself 
that maybe this Ben Franklin guy isn't a bad guy after all, and he became more open and willing to listen to his opinion and became his friend as a result. So there's this powerful effect that's counterintuitive, but if you're not super jiving with somebody, ask them to do you a small favor that they probably won't say no to, and they'll be likely to be an ally for you moving forward. And that's really what the Ben Franklin effect is all about. And I love the foresight that Benny F. had when he was considering his relationship with this person. He was thinking about the future, the fact that if they were going to work in the same realm uh, together, then they might as well not be enemies since that's not going to be productive for either of them. And I've actually been teaching a lot of negotiation sessions recently with my students. And that's one thing that we talk about ad nauseum, and that is for most negotiations, because most negotiations are not completely transactional, for most of them, you need to consider the relationship and where it's going to go in the future. Because if you're gonna have to deal with that person in the future, and actually, one parallel that I draw is divorce proceedings, right? They can get pretty nasty, but ultimately, if you have kids together, for example, and you want to end things on good terms for the benefit of the kids, you're going to consider your relationship going forward, right? This is a simple example of the same thing, which is Ben Franklin had already known that since the relationship is going to be important, he needs to prioritize mending it as soon as possible. See, oftentimes, especially when we start considering somebody our enemy, we feel that if we start being nice to them, we're going to show weakness, right? That they don't deserve to be treated well because they've wronged us or they treated us poorly. But when you get into that line of thinking, you're entering a vicious cycle that you might not get out of. And you're actually perpetuating that negativity for yourself. So if you prioritize mending things, trying to get on the other person's good side, being nice, sometimes maybe even killing them with kindness, if you will, you have a higher chance of actually resolving things between each other, but also making yourself feeling better as soon as possible. And why not get out of a negative state? Yeah, it, it is almost a selfish thing, honestly, if you think about it. You can choose to persist with a negative relationship with somebody with two bulls hitting heads against each other, or you can choose to reframe things, try to put yourselves in their shoes, and maybe approach it from a different angle and maybe actually turn out having a better relationship for it, and you're just walking around being less angry all of a sudden. It's just good for you, right? Exactly. Now, going back to the Socratic method, and the analogy I'll draw again is sales. Because ultimately, we are talking about persuasion, right? We are trying to persuade somebody to be your ally. And in sales, the advice you often hear if you're starting off in sales is you need to get the customer to admit to the pain, right? Admit to the fact that whatever problem you're solving, it's a big problem for them, and then get them to throw out what potential solutions might be, and then boom, magically, your solution is exactly what they had already thought of, right? What you did there is through a conversation where you Socratically, I don't even know if that's a word, Socratically. All right, we'll pretend. So. Yeah. All right, fair enough. You Socratically ask them questions and get them to then get towards the whatever the solution is, the idea is themselves, they're going to be more likely to support it because they thought of the idea. Similarly, if you have somebody that you're butting heads with, but it's not productive and you want to reach some kind of other desired outcome, one, one thing you could do that's probably not going to work is you could say, hey, I have a great idea for how something can get accomplished. I know the right way forward, so listen to me, right? That's usually going to pull people apart and away from you, and it's actually going to make them probably stick with their own initial ideas even more so than before. But if instead you ask them a question, you say, hey, 
what kind of outcome are we looking for? And most likely, they're going to agree to the same outcome that you already have in your mind. And then you ask them follow-up questions to essentially get them to admit the same exact solution or process for getting towards the outcome that you already had in mind, then they're going to think that it was their idea. And in a way, it was. I mean, they verbalized it. You didn't put those words into their mouths. It was their idea. But because it's an idea that they come up with, not something that you tried to force on them, you're more likely to get towards that agreement faster. So what would you say to someone that says, well, but I don't want people to steal my ideas or pretend that my ideas are theirs? Like, how do you reconcile that? I mean, is it always the kind of go-to method if you have somebody that's you know not agreeable with you? Is just to kind of let them come to the same conclusions and let them take the credit? I would say two things. One, what's more important to you, right? Consider what's more important to you. Other people knowing that this was your idea or getting towards a resolution as quickly as possible. If the latter is your answer, then forget about the fact that it's your idea. Because ultimately, let's say if it's your boss, right, that might recognize somebody else for coming up with the idea, eventually, over time, they will see that you are the person that is effective at getting towards resolutions quickly and is effective at getting other people to be aligned with you. And you will get that recognition in the future. Don't worry about the now. Be a little bit more forward thinking. And the other outcome that comes from this type of exercise is you're doing something else. And this something is very, very important. You're making the other person feel like they matter. Now, in the end of the day, isn't that what we all want? We want to feel heard and we want to feel like we matter. We want to feel like our opinions are important. If you tend to push your own way, because you know that you're right, and look, let's face it, we all tend to do that once in a while. Again, somebody else might not feel like they're being heard in that particular scenario. But if you focus on being inclusive, on bringing other people in and collaborative in that situation, then again, you're more likely to make that person into an ally quicker. And by the way, it could be something as simple as in a group meeting where your boss is there being like, Oh, I think Lucy had an idea. Did you did you want to say something, Lucy? Like just that one thing that took you literally three seconds to say already made Lucy feel great about you and the relationship. And maybe she just seemed like somebody that's not that great of a person to you because you guys disagree because she always feels like you never let her be heard or no one, ever, maybe it's not you, maybe no one ever lets her be heard. And so she just feels like a negative person to you. And if you just let her open up a little bit, then she's not going to be that kind of person. And you'll, you'll change your perspective on her as well. That's exactly right. To make things a little bit more lighthearted now, I think, Sergey, you have a story of a time when you were at a bar and there was almost well, an altercation. Yes. Well, this, this story uh, <laughs> uh, is relevant, trust me. But this story is about being honest with somebody, like brutally, disarmingly honest, in order to get them to empathize with you and therefore get them on your side. And actually, for Vadim and I, we almost always believe that honesty is the best policy even when you messed up actually especially when you mess up because when you own up to something people can no longer blame you for trying to evade it right so what happened was uh, this is back when when we were still living in boston uh, so probably about seven years ago or so uh, seven or eight years ago i guess Ooh, kind of a long time ago I'm getting, old. Um, getting a little old there um but I don't know why getting old makes you have a southern accent, but because um, all the <laughs> southern folk they're old down there. I mean, that's not true at all. That's not even a that's sound. not that's true at all. 
We I'm, suck. I'm sorry. Life. Anybody, if you're from the South listening to this, we apologize we really uh, sorry. profusely. Actually, See, to make, if it makes me feel yeah. a little bit better, Sergey once auditioned to play Teddy Roosevelt. Wait, was it Teddy Roosevelt? Yeah, Teddy Roosevelt. And they wanted him to have a Southern accent? That no, make no, sense. no. That was another oh. play that I auditioned for. Oh, okay. That I, I had to have a Southern accent. I couldn't do it. I've since learned a little bit better how to do it. Anyway, neither here nor there. Didn't get the role, so Didn't get the part. it makes um, sense that we're just awful at it. All yeah. Right. Anyway, that's why I'm not an actor, but... I was actually with Vadim and a couple other friends uh, at a bar in Boston called Saint, right in downtown Boston. Uh, I don't think it's around anymore. Uh, yeah, it might not be around anymore. But anyway, we got there and we're kind of hanging out, you know, having a few drinks. And I see this young lady. I was I was single at the time, and as it were, when you're in your you know mid twenties and you're at a bar, you feel like the pressure that you should be trying to trying to talk to women or whoever you're trying to you know get numbers and stuff like that so you can go on dates so i i was in that mode at that point in time you have to think of think of young sergey in that mode of having to hit on people for better or worse right so i see this young woman and i come up to her and i you know i think i i start dancing with her maybe i forgot even what i asked her but probably i was hitting on her trying to be respectful because i'm always i'm always respectful and she seems to be going along with it just fine and then I get this tap on the shoulder and this guy who is just livid, he's like, what the hell are you doing, man? I'm like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, you know, don't, don't be talking to my girl. I'm like, dude, what? Like, what do you, what do you, what's going on here? Now, this isn't like one of these, my, my mind didn't immediately go to this is her boyfriend. Why? This guy was wearing a, like a top hat, a purple suit and a cane and then a bunch of jewelry. And my brain immediate was like, this is is this this is her pimp. This has to be her pimp. The old Boston pimps. They're they're rough. This has got to be her pimp. And so, luckily, I still had my faculties. I didn't really. I wasn't uh, super drunk or anything like that. And my brain is going a million miles a minute. I'm like damage control mode. What am I gonna do or say to to make sure this guy doesn't like kill me or I don't know take me out back? He really looked like he wanted to fight me, and he had his boys like right next to him too. So I knew I had to handle the situation immediately. Oh bother! Yeah, it was scary. And Vadim was like he wasn't there. He I was like, remember. Yeah, I remember yeah. You either. were getting a drink somewhere, and our friend uh, Jos was also somewhere getting a drink. So it was just me. <laughs> it was just me on my own. And I think it's one of those fight or flight situations, and maybe that's why I, I was able to handle the situation. But I just turned to the guy, and I'm like, listen, man, I just saw this young lady, this beautiful young lady, and I wanted to talk to her. Like, I'm not trying to disrespect you. Uh, she was just standing there, and of course I came up to her. You would do the same thing, right? <laughs> and, you know, he couldn't say no at, at that point. He just laughed, and he's like, yeah, I guess so. And we ended up chatting and stuff, like, for probably about five, ten minutes and, like, you know, high-fiving each other, whatever, hugging, and, and I walked away. So I, I completely diffused the situation and turned this guy from someone who was going to beat the shit out of me to an ally by putting him on my level, making him understand my point of view with brutal honesty but literally just not trying to justify not trying to say no you're wrong like screw you no i'm saying like look man level with me here she's just a pretty girl i'm just talking to her we're at a bar like what would you do in that situation and he totally got it right away and he became an ally of mine by the end of that uh, whole interaction well, there you go so have a bias towards honesty especially when you're surrounded by like five other dudes and you're pissing your pants uh you might as well not lie you will get caught in a lie so I think you made the right decision yeah i was terrified for show now the next story bringing you back to the professional setting uh or the next piece of advice i should say is see if you can bring in an impartial yet credible third party into the mix and into the situation 
Now, be careful here, obviously, because some there might be some tension, right? And you don't want to go above somebody and make it feel like you're escalating unnecessarily or make them feel like they have to comply because you're bringing in a boss, for example. But bringing in somebody that's impartial, maybe even someone laterally in a different department, for example, if it's within a workplace, that can work. And I'll give you a specific example, a specific story uh, from a founding team that I was advising a little while ago. So there were these two founders and they had partnered with a technical person to build their product. But every time I met with them, I felt like there was just some friction between the business side of the team, the two founders that were business-oriented founders, and this tech guy. And eventually, over many coaching sessions, uh, you know, we uncovered the fact that they had spent huge amount of money, and I'm talking like in the six figures, building this product. And even though we had had many conversations about how they need to be testing this product consistently with users, how that really needs to be prioritized, right? Because ultimately, if you're building something for users that are never touching it or seeing it, then how do you know if you're building the right thing? And they said, yeah, for sure. We talked to our co-founder, our, our technical officer about this all the time. That makes sense. And, I, and, and then I said, okay, look, I mean, after a few of these types of meetings where it seems like I was getting the same answer, but the outcomes weren't changing, I said, I think we should all get together and sit down and chat. And that's exactly what we did. This uh, technical person was in town and we all got together, both business founders and that tech person, and we just started talking. Now, I, I did use the Socratic method, if you will, and I started asking a bunch of questions. He knew that I was the advisor and coach. He also knew a little bit about my background, but I gave him more about my background, telling him that I've had some experience building technical products. Now, at the same time, I also made him feel important because I said, look, in the end of the day, you are the CTO, you know best. I'm not the engineer. You have done this many, many different times. But here is my experience is what I told him. And I then brought him again to my level, similar to how Sergey did in that scenario. What would you do if you were in the same shoes? I, I said, look, I've been in the same shoes. And then I created some credibility by saying, not only have I been in the same shoes, but I've worked with lead architects and engineers at really big brands. And I worked with them to build products, to develop products. And here's how they usually work through these environments. Here's how they prioritize getting the product into the customer's hands before they felt like it was ready. And sometimes we'd be embarrassed uh, because the features weren't built, but we had to get it tested sooner than later. And every time I mentioned something, he would agree because it made sense. These other experts that were experts in the field just like him would go through the same process that we agreed the company needs to go through in order to A, be more resourceful, and B, to have insight into what they were building. And we walked away from the meeting more on the same page, I think, amongst all the founders and me as the advisor than ever before because, again, I let him feel heard, but also I was able to come in there not as their boss, not as a board member, but an impartial third party to help them sort of see the light or what might be the right next step or approach to take going forward. So if possible, in whatever situation you're experiencing with somebody that you're butting heads with or you've made an enemy or they made you an enemy, Try to see if in any given scenario, you can bring in an impartial, credible third party to help you towards that resolution. Oftentimes, that can create a shortcut as well. They definitely also, to Vadim's point, need to be credible because if 
either party in that situation doesn't trust that that person has the authority or the experience to to have an opinion, then it's going to fall apart. They have to trust that they should be listening to that person's opinion first and foremost. And Vadim had the credibility because he had worked with those CTOs in the past and actually was able to be successful in those roles. And he used those stories to get people to align with him. So hopefully if you're currently experiencing any of these issues, either with anybody in the workplace or a co-founder, or if you come across this in the near future, again, it could be something nuanced like just an altercation with somebody or with somebody that you have a long outstanding relationship with. Hopefully this was a little bit helpful in giving you ideas for how to approach the situation a little bit differently than you would have or a little bit differently than where your mind wants to go and how you typically would want to act. Uh, Because look, we all ultimately sometimes act impulsively without thinking about what the best possible outcome even for us might be in the long run. Yeah, and to me also, the common theme here is honesty and empathy because in the end of the day, most of us just want to feel like we matter and be heard. And if you realize that about people and you try to put yourselves in their shoes a little bit, you're more likely to get alignment on no matter what it is you're trying to do. We're not trying to be naive here and say that there's, you know, there's no such thing as incredibly difficult people or irrational people that are almost impossible to convert. Like those people do exist. But if you haven't tried to let that person be heard yet, that is one tactic that I think could work. Now, you might actually be pretty introspectful and be aware of the fact that you yourself are typically the kind of person that likes to butt heads. You like confrontation and you don't like to be proven wrong. Look, it's okay to be that person. It doesn't mean that you can't change. Actually, awareness is the first step towards change. And you might find yourself where you take something that you maybe learned from this episode or something that you've read somewhere else And you might apply it to one or two scenarios, but then you go back towards your old self and and not wanting to kind of give way and give leeway. All I'll say there is you can change. It is in you. And the more you practice this, the more aware you become of when maybe you could have handled things a little bit differently. And the quicker also you realize when you are kind of on the wrong course and you course correct. It is possible to incrementally get better and better at this over time, even if it's against your nature. So just start practicing it whenever you can, whenever you think of it, and things will get better. It'll become more second nature, and it'll become more of who you are and how you will define yourself going forward. That's it for this episode for the week. Thank you so much for listening. We love you, our loyal listeners. If you can tell one friend about this show, if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes, it would be hugely helpful. That's how we grow this show. And to do that, just click share within iTunes or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, wherever you listen to. Click share on the episode. Go to WhatsApp or Apple Messages. Is that what it's called? Apple Messages? I'm not an iPhone user, clearly. But click share and then find a friend that you think will find this relevant and just send them a text about it. That'd be super helpful for us. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on Monday.